Thanks, everyone. It's uh, my on. It's my joy to be bringing God's word to you today. I'm actually sharing it with uh, with Dunk, and uh, so he's going to do the second half of this. Poor Dunk. It's the first time he's come to speak to us as a church, and um, he was supposed. Me and him were supposed to be doing it next week. However, um, Rob is uh, uh, Rob Williams is not very well uh, this week. He's uh, had a positive lateral flow. So uh, yeah. So hence we're doing it this week uh, for you. So today we're going to be looking at disciples who make disciples for Jesus. And uh, I wanted to start actually by just reminding you guys of a significant prophetic word we had last March that came. And there was a, a picture of a door that we as a church are about to go through a door into a new season of fruitfulness, abundant fruit. Be ready and press into this season. After this, there was another season coming, still fruitful. We're not going back to being unfruitful, but fruitful with hostility alongside it. So we need to, have, need to help disciple the believers to stand firm. You know, God says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says that he can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And in David Watson's book on contagious discipleship uh, making, he recounts how over a nine-year period, God uh, used him to start a disciple-making movement that saw over two million people come to faith in Jesus Christ in India. Kay Sutter, in his book, Faith to Move Mountains, encourages us to believe God for a tenfold increase in a year. And he sort of says, actually, Jesus talks about 30, 60, 100-fold increase. So we should, he said, let's believe God. He's challenging us to stir our faith as believers. And I'm challenging you to stir your faith afresh for a tenfold increase in a year. My friends, God is on the move. There's many words about that uh, going around at the moment in different churches, and we're wanting to see him bring abundant fruit here amongst us. Amen? Amen? Good. Some people agree. That's very good. But you know, God wants to give us that fruit, but he doesn't want to give it to us if we're just going to let it drop to the ground, if we're going to let it, you know, see it fall to the ground and just rot. We need to have things in place that help us not only harvest the fruit, but then disciple people into the image of God's son. And that's why we're making room and we want to make room for this discipleship uh, program that we're sort of uh, pushing at the moment as a church because it's actually easily to replicate and it can cope with exponential explosive growth that we believe God wants to do amongst us. Amen? Amen. Tozer says this in his book about discipleship. He says, in the New Testament, salvation and discipleship are so closely related that they are indivisible. You know, discipleship describes the involvement of others in helping you to become more like Jesus. It's part of our sanctification process, if you like, us being set apart 
to be more like Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is looking to do in us. And that discipleship encourages us in that process of becoming more like our Lord Jesus. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes this in his letter to the Corinthians. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In a way, that sentence beautifully sums up what discipleship is. We look to Jesus, the author and founder of our or founder and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12, verse 12. And through his Holy Spirit's help, as we look at Jesus, we are being transformed into his glorious likeness, being conformed to the image of God's Son. Romans 8, 29 tells us we copy Jesus' example we, we allow him to shape our motives and our, and, and, uh, uh, our, our, um, our motives and our desires. We allow him to shape our thinking. We allow him to shape our actions as well. So it affects our heart, our head, and our hands to become more like Jesus. And we help others to do the same as well. Basically, it could be summed up with the great... The great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're trying to to do. That's what it's helping us to do better. My friends, you see, what we as humanity would have done automatically, naturally, when God made Adam and Eve in his likeness and he told them to have children, to go forth and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it as his image bearers. They would have done that perfectly. But it's now only possible through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Before mankind rebelled, this would have been automatic for us but sin, because we had no sin in us. But now, because of sin, because we did rebel, because we believe the lie of the devil over trusting God's word and surrendering to him, we have allowed sin a permanent place in our heart, this side of eternity. And, uh, and that's why we need Jesus. Our natural bent from that point onwards has been to rebel against God, to deviate from his word, to go after other things, and to believe the lies of the devil. Yet God, in his grace, whilst he brought judgment on that rebellion and will bring judgment on all rebellion, he provides a way for Adam and Eve to uh, uh, to, um, he provides for them. He allows them to call on his name. And he hints at a future deliverance that he himself will bring about for his people. This plan of God then comes, comes through Abraham and through Israel and the descendants of, uh, of uh, Israel to bless Every family on earth. God tells Moses 
and the Israelites, that they are, they are to be like a kingdom of priests to God, to represent God to the nations and to bring the nations to God. They get to do that in the promised land to fulfill God's purposes. He gave Adam the garden to work that out in. He gives Israel the land to work that out in. Yet, we see right from the beginning, actually, because of sin and rebellion, Israel struggle to do this. Straight away, even after coming out of God's presence on Mount Sinai, where they've seen God in all his glory, they get to the edge of the promised land and they refuse to go in. And God's response is actually wonderful. If you, if you read it there in Numbers 14, he, said, he says, all right, you won't go in. And then he says this, but truly, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Oh, and by the way, your children that you're worried about, they're going to take the land that you've refused to go in. So through Israel, God does many great things, but it's all marred with sin still and rebellion as well. However, the prophet Habakkuk reminds them 900 years later and 600 years before Christ. He reminds them of what God said back then. He says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Through Israel, 600 years later, Christ comes. The true seed of Abraham, the one who's going to bring true blessing to every family on earth, the true vine, the one who would unite all things in heaven and earth, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 10. And he came to be not only a light to the Jews, but a light to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people as well, to be a saviour, the Bible says, of all people, of the whole world. His perfect life and his sacrificial death on a cross where he took on himself the sins of all the world, the sins of all the things that you and I have done that are wrong, that are offensive, so that all who put their faith in him, all who surrender to Jesus and make him the Lord of their life can be forgiven, can be born again, can be born into God's family, can have the hope of being raised to life eternal and can have the Holy Spirit living in them now, helping them to live for God. What we had once lost because of the fall at the beginning, because of our sin, through the Holy Spirit's power, we can now have control over that. We can actually subdue our sinful nature. Christ has won that victory. What was once natural in the beginning is now only possible through Christ. And Jesus' great commission that he gives to the church in Matthew 28 is to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. So that the whole earth can be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you see, my friends, this is not something new. It's just not a new idea. This is God's original plan from day six of creation. Day six since the world began. This is what God has been planning. 
And God wants us. You see, when, uh, when we give our lives to Jesus, his spirit comes in us and he helps us to be to live for God. When we fail, thanks to his death on the cross, actually his cross forgives us. So we get a fresh start. We get fresh grace every day to live for Jesus. But also we have the opportunity and the ability through the power of his Holy Spirit to live for God, to please God and to help others to do the same as well. Matthew 28 verse 20 makes clear. When we fail... Thanks to Jesus' death, we receive fresh forgiveness. And we all fail. We all make mistakes. And we need his grace. It doesn't rest upon your strength or my strength. Hallelujah. It rests upon the grace of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, after encouraging us to be strengthened in the grace of our God and Savior, he writes this to to Timothy, but through Timothy to the rest of us. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. That is, be disciples who make disciples who make disciples for Jesus until the whole earth is filled with disciples who are living for Jesus, who are bearing God's image all over this earth. And we have a privilege of playing our part in our time, in this generation of serving God and of making disciples, of making people who are like Jesus, who be, reflect something of the beauty of Jesus to the world around us. But now it's not, not through natural birth, although you know our children have a part to play in it because the promises are for you and for your children and all who are far off but it's not through natural birth but through the discipling of those who are born again into the kingdom of God so let's make sure as disciples of Jesus here that we are disciples who make disciples looking to fill the whole earth it's, it's timely that we've got our mission statement or our vision statement if you like as a church above the door so as you go out you can be reminded of what we are called to do but let's be disciples who make disciples for Jesus filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord by helping more people to become like Jesus and also by pointing people towards Jesus. Because if you like, evangelism is just discipleship of those who yet don't know Jesus. And at that point, I'm going to invite Dunk up to come and talk a bit more about this. Turn it on, he said. Am I on now? Yeah. Hey, brilliant. So um, I expect some of you were thinking it was going to be the other Duncan. Um, Duncan, are you over there? There you are. So Duncan mentioned me a few, uh, um, I think a few months ago now, a few weeks ago, and said that there were two Duncans. And um, often we get mixed up between us, which one is which. 
various reasons. But we got the same letter for a surname, P, so it's Duncan P doesn't help. Um, I, I used to say Duncan the Elder, but I can't do that anymore because that would be rude because you're not an elder anymore. <laughs> so uh, maybe somebody can come up with a, a way of um, uh, knowing us apart. Maybe Duncan the Wiser, maybe, is the one to go with. Um, so um, I, my name is Duncan, as I said, and um, I help lead the Alpha course here, and this is my first time speaking on a Sunday. Um, I'm going to pick up a little bit on the theology, but actually my heart this morning is to share what God has been putting on my heart over the last year or so, and um, to, to really share uh, what I feel he's been um, really encouraging me on, and uh, to go over some practical things. But before we do that, I've got a question, and that question is, can you shout out how you feel about this word? Let's have some. So, if somebody asks you to do evangelism, what's your feelings and reaction? Who said fear? Yeah. <laughs> Any more? Any more? Joy. 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 Brilliant. Yes, well, you've got a heart for evangelism, Tom, so I'm pleased you said that. I'd be worried if you didn't say that. Any more? Yay. Yay. That's joy. Excellent. Any more? Panic. Panic. I think that comes under fear, doesn't it? Yeah, I think panic comes under fear. Technical issue. <laughs> so, hope. Excellent. One more? Sorry? Apprehension. Apprehension. Is that to do with embarrassment, do you think? No? Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, I think, I think that's got us warmed up and got your attention anyway. So, um, I'll just say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you would um, really speak to us this morning about what you're saying and I just pray, Lord, it won't be about what I'm saying, but your heart. And I just pray you speak to hearts this morning. Amen. So um, my first uh, heading is that all Christians are, are called to be disciples. As um, Sai laid out, evangelism isn't simply sharing... Sorry, evangelism is simply sharing good news and making disciples. That's what it is. It's not just for a few anointed or gifted people. Jesus calls all of us to make new disciples. And this is what um, it says in Matthew 28. This is what Jesus said. Have we got that slide? Um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, because we uh, had to swap and we had to do this a week early, uh, Si and I have not seen each other's preach at all, and yet there is so much overlap and similar scriptures and we're saying very similar things. And, and when uh, Anna uh, preached last week, I was amazed that she pinched half of my preach. I don't know how she managed to do that. Um, but uh, it, obviously God is really speaking to us. And obviously we know that this passage is called the Great Commission, Last week, Anna started by reading um, a definition which explains the difference between mere converts 
and real disciples. She said, a disciple obeys all the teaching of Christ and endeavors to make more disciples. But a convert may or may not encourage others. So we're not just making converts. As Sari has explained, God's purpose is to empower us through sanctification to do his work, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. And in the Bible, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, knew his purpose. And he shows us that, God, shows us that God's work for him was more than just converting people. In Romans 15, he said, He, that's Christ, gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And John Piper puts it very well. He says, Paul is not merely aiming to convert unbelievers. He's aiming to make people sanctified, obedient to Christ, so that we can make more disciples. In his second letter to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul explains our purpose even further. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Uh, Sorry, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So there's three points that I felt I wanted to share from this. Number one, we are his witnesses. We have all witnessed becoming new creations, haven't we? And we all know that this is from God because we have the Holy Spirit in us, which is something that Anna talked about last week. And number two, our ministry is simply to deliver a message. We're just messengers. It's an appeal, the message is an appeal to be reconciled to God, which means coming home to God, where we belong, where we should be. An appeal to come home, that sins will be forgiven, and that God will come into our lives with power when we respond to the gospel through repentance and faith. And number three that we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors are representatives given authority by someone higher. And in our case, it's Christ's authority. He said, didn't he? Um, Christ said earlier on in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples. We've been given that authority. What higher authority can there be than Christ? So, all Christians everywhere are Christ's representatives on earth. I'm pleased to say that the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, says that he's Christ's representative, which is great, but unfortunately, he thinks he's the only one. We're all Christ's representatives. So, God has given us purpose and work to do. Winning souls is described as work in the Bible. In Matthew 9, it says, The harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. Our role is to find them and to point them to Jesus. We can all do that. All of us can do that. And if you've got a heart for winning souls, I'd like to recommend this book, which I've been reading, I've read it a few times now, by Spurgeon called The Soul Winner. It's 
in Old English, but it's absolutely brilliant. He looks at it from every angle, and I'll be quoting a little bit from that book uh, uh, later on. So that was my first point, that we're all called to evangelize. My second point is that all Christians have opportunities to evangelize, which is something Sai mentioned. The best opportunities to share the gospel are relational through our normal interactions with people that we meet on a daily basis. But people are not projects. They're not assignments, if you like. Sometimes after we're saved, and this is true of me, I don't know if it's true of you, but after we're saved, we become all anxious and awkward sharing our testimony with people and talking to people. And we have to sort of relearn how to be normal again. We can do this by simply listening to people more. That's what God's been speaking to me about. So we don't need to try and sneak in with the gospel like some kind of crafty salesman. We just listen, spend time with them, and pray for God to make an opening. It could take hours with a stranger that you meet on the street, and it could take years with someone you know. In Colossians 4, Paul said, continue continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. In the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account for which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So we need to be sensitive Pray and listen to the Holy Spirit that he makes an opening. Share, when we get that opening, we share God's word or words of knowledge as the Holy Spirit might give us. And I can remember many years ago, um, I'd just become a Christian. This is 28 years ago. And my, my family uh, were not believers. They didn't go to church apart from weddings, funerals, that kind of thing. And, and uh, hatching, matching, and dispatching, as we called it. Um, but, uh, you know, we did not um, really even ever talk about God. We'd never spoken about God ever. And I had just become a Christian, and I was nervous, and I was driving home to Berkshire to see my parents and think, how am I going to tell them, Lord? How am I going to tell them? So I just prayed, you're the, you're the shepherd, so go ahead of me and, and, and make an opening for me to tell them. And uh, when I got there, I was amazed. We sat down for dinner, And out of the blue, in the middle of the meal, completely out of the blue, my dad just said, oh, um, there was something on the TV the other day about God. And I was just thinking about church and God, and he just started talking about it. And so that was my opening. So I just said, well, actually, I'd just like to tell you I've just become a Christian. And honestly, the silence hit the table. (laughs) It was like... um, and so, you know, God does open doors, but that, we don't try and sneak it in. We don't try and look for them. We pray that God will make it, because when God opens doors, they cannot be closed. Vicky often teases me by calling me a bit peculiar. That's her like, <laughs> pet name for me, which I kind of like. She calls me a cretin sometimes, which I don't like quite as much. But um, <laughs> you knew this was coming, didn't you? I warned her. Um, but it's all very playful. We laugh about it. And, uh, and she keeps me grounded. It's great. Um, but over the course of my life, 
I've had to learn how to be normal with people and how to actually, you know, I can be rather blunt. I tend to have no filter and I just say what's in my head, which has sometimes got me into trouble. When I was about 18, I figured that maybe people didn't like talking to me because I didn't ask them questions. It actually occurred to me, maybe I don't, I don't ask questions like my friends do. Socially, there is nothing more boring than somebody who only talks about themselves. So we really mustn't be like that. And I made a decision that day that I was going to fight against that tendency. So when I was 18, I was in the pub, and I decided to try out my new method with the girl who was sat opposite me. I knew her name, and that was it. She was from school, and there was a whole bunch of us in the pub. So we chatted for the whole evening. I just kept asking questions. And she made a point of saying to me that she really enjoyed talking to me, which had never happened before. But unfortunately, <laughs> I was a bit too dumb to get the hint and didn't take it any further. But uh, I've got Vicky now, so praise God. Um, so recently, Vicky and I have been challenged to have people round for meals more often as part of, um, of this whole thing about you know, spending time with people. So I decided to call up a friend who I hadn't seen for over a year. And I thought, OK, I'm just going to ask questions and listen. And we sat in this cafe for about two hours, and I just kept asking questions. And do you know what? It's amazing how interesting people are when you listen and what you can find out. It's really fascinating. And off the back of that, we had him round for dinner, and we talked more. We have a genuine friendship. He's not a project. He's my friend. And my prayer is that a door will be open for me to share my faith. Listening is powerful. By listening first, the other person becomes an individual that we care about rather than simply a mission field. We've noticed that guests on Alpha, by the way, who get saved, tend to be the ones where someone else has already done the work. We just help them the rest of the way. So before, I would encourage you, before inviting your friends to Alpha or your family or your work colleagues, I would encourage you to do the groundwork. It really makes a huge difference to how they respond to the course. In Hebrews 13, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Some of us have entertained angels. The Holy Spirit gets excited when we have people around for dinner. Don't just keep inviting the same friends that you like. Invite people you don't like. There's a challenge. <laughs> All Christians can evangelize, is my third point. The power is in the gospel, not us. The power is not in our words or our wisdom. We point to Jesus and use the word of God. Here's a quote from Spurgeon from the book. Preachers, if thou art to stand up to see what thou can do, it will be thy wisdom to sit down speedily. But if thou standest up to prove what thy mighty God, Lord and Master can do through you, then infinite possibilities lie about thee. It is not our way of putting the gospel, nor our method of illustrating it which wins souls but the gospel itself does the work in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Our role is to deliver the message clearly and leave the rest to God. Only the Holy Spirit can open eyes, so we should never think that we could do that. In 2 Corinthians 4, 
It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not of ourselves, but Christ Jesus as as Lord. So this should remove our fears. We had fear flashing up earlier. Should remove our fear. It's, It's not about what we can do. It's what he does. It should remove our fears of inadequacy because we can see that a person's salvation doesn't depend on us. It's not our responsibility to save people. We can't do it. It's a miracle that happens only by the power of God's Spirit. And I'd like to encourage those of you here, this is something I really felt in my heart, who lack confidence. God wants to use you. And God can use you. The question is, will you step out in faith and let him? God needs you, actually. He needs you. And sometimes we can be afraid of, you know, taking that opportunity to share God's word or the gospel because we think we're going to put them off. Oh, no, they, they don't seem ready yet. I'm going to put them off and then they'll never want to speak to me about God again. But then we never speak to them about the gospel bit like trying to invite out a pretty girl. You know, you're so nervous. You never do it. And, you know, we pray for an opening. And then when we see that God's made that opening that cannot be shut, then we go for it. And we don't know who's going to be saved and who isn't. It's not up, up to us whether they choose to believe or not. We just give them the message. This is an encouragement to those who feel that they lack the uh, qualifications, 1 Corinthians 1. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may base before him. So if you feel that you have nothing to offer, I've got good news for you. You're exactly the kind of person that God wants to use. That's his speciality. Then he gets the glory and not us. And I really like at the end to pray with people about that one. We just need to do it according to our faith and our ability. That's all he asks us. We're not all going to be great evangelists on the stage, but we all do our little bit. Okay, so next point. I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay time-wise, but I'm going to speed up a bit. What should be our motivation for doing all this? To be obedient to Christ. What should be our motivation to be obedient? Well, love is. I just found it amazing that Dan got up this morning and talked about God's love because I really wanted to highlight this this morning. That's what it's all about. If we share um, the gospel, it's because of our love for God and our love for people, and because he first loved us. If we share the gospel for any other reason, whether it's ambition, recognition, to win an argument, then we've missed it. So love for God. We obey the command to make disciples because we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter said, yes. And what was Jesus' response every time? Feed my sheep. He gave him a command. If you love me, do my work. God's most urgent question to you and me 
is always, do you love me? We show God that we love him by doing what he asks. Love is the bottom line. God is love. Are we more concerned with what people will think or with losing friends when we share the gospel? Are we more concerned with what God thinks than showing him that we love him? And do we have a fear of man or do we want to show God we love him and do what he says? Paul wasn't embarrassed to share the gospel. He said in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And there's a promise. If we suffer for telling the gospel, God promises to bless us. He sees everything. And we shouldn't be shocked if people hate us, because the world hated Jesus first. And then love for people. God made his motivation clear. And as Sai said, our aim as disciples is to be like Jesus. His motivation was in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not come to condemn. He came to save. That was his heart. God sent his son to bring a message of, not a message of condemnation, but a message of love and reconciliation and freedom. So the, the gospel is a message of incredible love. Of course, we mustn't miss out the things that might offend. The message of the cross naturally gives offence sometimes, but we can't water it down, because that wouldn't be loving them either. Watering it down is not loving them, because we want them to have what we have, what God's love. And we must not argue with them, because you can win the argument but lose the person. I can remember one time... When, uh, when I was a new saved Christian and some Jehovah's Witnesses came to the door and in my very tactless, unloving way, I said some very direct things to them and I, I, I don't know if this has ever happened before, but these two, two Jehovah's Witnesses actually stepped back in shock and fear and said, oh, oh thank you, and left. Uh, it's not something that I recommend, um, but I've learned that was not loving. That was not a way to speak to people. And we can be loving by being all things to all people. Paul said that he tried to fit into all situations. And sometimes there are situations we wouldn't normally want to be in. He said, 1 Corinthians, Though I am free and belong to no one, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So he becomes a servant. That doesn't mean that we have to compromise with the world and with our holiness in order to fit in. Like Spurgeon said, just be men among men. Keep yourselves clear of all their faults, but mingle with them in perfect love. And I'm going to jump on because I am running out of time. So my last point is we need to be prepared, obviously. So how do we prepare? What are the practical things we can do? Well, this is what God's been challenging me on. Devotion to prayer. Pray for open doors. Pray for people. When God opens doors... They cannot be shut. And Spurgeon said, you know what? If people won't talk to you about the gospel, if you feel that you know, there isn't doors opening or they're not responding or they don't want to know, pray for them. Spurgeon said, when men will not let me speak to them about God, I speak to God about men. 
We, can, we should be devoted to Christ. Genuine devotion to Christ will make you appear more beautiful to people. I, I need that every single day. Because it's not me that's going to win them over. It's Christ through the Holy Spirit. Devotion to God's word. And not just reading God's word, but doing what it says. I feel that there may be people here, you know, you think, yes, this is all great. Whoa. But are, are we really going to go and do what the word says? That, that's a huge challenge to me. You know, it's, this is not just entertainment. In James 1, he said, if we listen to the word, but we don't do what it says, we're like a man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. That's a real challenge to me. But remember that although we're, we're preaching God's word because that's where the power is. And the Holy Spirit can only bless God's word. He's not going to bless your wisdom. He's going to bless the, 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 the word. And the final bit, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I really encourage you, if you didn't see it, listen to Anna's preach again on YouTube from last week because she really covered this very well. Vaughan Roberts, in his book, um, uh, on uh, um, God's big picture, he said, we cannot claim to be filled with the Spirit as individuals or churches if we are not active in evangelism. The Spirit's great concern is to lead people to Christ. That's his main concern. And Oswald Sanders says, people who are filled with the Spirit have tangible results in relationships. His Holy Spirit empowers us to do all things. Um, I'll just tell you a quick story and then I'll finish. And when I, I was a younger Christian, I became baptized with the Holy Spirit. I literally saw the Holy Spirit being poured into my head um, spiritually while my eyes were closed. And I was filled with the Spirit. And I was running off telling everybody and, and doing all these things, but I didn't have the wisdom. And then later, some years later, I was refilled, refilled with the Holy Spirit. And we could, if you haven't been baptized with the Spirit, I encourage you to come down and pray for, to be baptized with the Spirit. But if you have been baptized with the Spirit, you can be refilled. And I was refilled, and something amazing happened. First of all, I didn't think more of myself than other people. I started loving them like I love myself. And I thought more of them than myself. I saw beyond their appearance and I treated everyone the same. I didn't care about their tattoos or their swearing or their childish behavior or their drunkenness. I really didn't see it. I just would say, oh, I love those tattoos. I love that shaved head. That's, that's really cool. And I meant it. That was the Holy Spirit within me. I was more interested in them as a person and their salvation. And God brought people into my life when I was filled with the Spirit. They just appeared. I had people living with me. I had a guy who was homeless came to live with me. And everyone said, you're crazy. Why are you letting this guy live with you? He's homeless. He's a drug addict. And I'm like, I just felt God want me to do it. And I had another guy who had, um, he came to live with me for a while because he, um, he had drug-induced um, psychosis. He actually believed he's, you know, that he could see through walls and all sorts of strange things. And it was a nightmare because he used to get up at two in the morning and stomp up and down the stairs and wake me up and I had to go to work. And that was the Holy Spirit within me. And interestingly, when that Holy Spirit sort of subsided after a while and I sort of stopped being obedient, 
God didn't bring those people into my life anymore. I didn't notice as many of those sort of things happening. So to finish off, God is a God of love. And if you don't know God this morning, if you're one of those people who are thinking, life is complicated, I'm trying to work out life, life can be a struggle, I don't really know what my purpose is, there are things going on in your lives that are just frustrating and difficult, then God is inviting you this morning to come and know his amazing love for you. And he will come and fill you with his love. And he will do it. He will do it. So um, I'd just like to say if anyone has felt God speaking to them at all this morning on any of those issues, being filled with and baptized with the Holy Spirit, coming and meeting God for the first time and putting your faith in him and seeing what he can do in you. Or if you feel challenged, yes, I'm going to go and do what Jesus called me to do because I love him, then I just want to invite the ministry team to come down and the worship band to come up and we'll have some worship time and ministry time.